Well, greetings and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. My name is Stuart Haynes, and I have the honor of hosting the iFormerX podcast. And I'm so grateful that you're listening and engaging in this professional development activity. I'm sure most of our listeners are well aware of the significant impact that the sodium glucose transporter 2 inhibitors, or SGLT2 inhibitors for short, have had over the past five years on practice. Not only do the SGLT2 inhibitors effectively reduce blood glucose, but more importantly, they improve cardiovascular and renal outcomes and save lives. In previous iFormerX commentaries and podcasts, we've reviewed and discussed a number of clinical trials related to empagliflozin and dapagliflozin and canagliflozin or canagliflozin. And if you haven't read those commentaries or listened to those podcasts, I strongly encourage you to go back and review them. And we've posted a list of our previous commentaries and podcasts on this topic on the iFormerX website. Well, the newest SGLT2 inhibitor, or the newest kid on the block, so to speak, is sotagliflozin. And while the data so far for each of the agents in the SGLT2 inhibitor class has been favorable, it's critically important to examine the data for each individual agent. As history has taught us, all medications in a medication class don't always confer the same benefits or risks. For example, not all beta blockers are the same and not all calcium channel antagonists are the same. But if we substitute medications in a class indiscriminately, we can assume, indeed we shouldn't assume, that the benefits and risks will be the same. Thus, the merits of each SGLT2 inhibitor must be examined and critiqued. And what makes sotagliflozin somewhat different is that it not only inhibits SGLT2, but it also inhibits SGLT1. So I'm delighted that Marin Richard Brinton and Jonathan Hughes from Ascension Medical Group Tennessee agreed to write a commentary about two studies that were simultaneously published in the New England Journal of Medicine about the use of sotagliflozin. The first study, known as the Solowis WHF study, reported the cardiovascular outcomes in patients with type 2 diabetes who were hospitalized with heart failure and treated with sotagliflozin. The second study, affectionately called the SCORED study, looked at the cardiovascular benefits of sotagliflozin in patients with type 2 diabetes with concurrent chronic kidney disease. Dr. Richards is a PGY2 ambulatory care pharmacy practice resident, and Dr. Hughes is an ambulatory care clinical pharmacist specialist at the St. Louis Family Medicine Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which is part of the Ascension Medical Group and provides care to the underserved. Marin, Jonathan, it's great to have you both on the iFormerX podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here today, Stuart. Thanks for your invitation. So before we talk about the study that you reviewed in your iFormerX commentary, I'm wondering if you can give us a really brief review of what we know about the SGLT2 inhibitors, what have some of the landmark clinical trials shown us, and who is most likely to benefit, and whether there seem to be any differences in terms of benefits or risks among the agents in this class that have emerged so far. Absolutely. Uh, So I think we can group the previous SGLT2 inhibitor trials 
into three main categories. The first that came out were the cardiovascular outcome trials, uh, which sometimes get abbreviated as CVOTs. Uh, these are those trials like Impareg, Canvas, and Declare Timmy 58. These trials went above and beyond their original intent, which was just to show that they were cardiovascularly safe, with most of these trials actually showing a cardiovascular benefit. And of course, there were a lot of subtleties among the trials, um, some improvements and some endpoints, and uh, others missing the mark in their CVOTs. Those initial trials showed signals for specific benefit in heart failure and renal outcomes, which sparked interest in further trials specifically examining those influence. So some examples of the renal trials uh, would be like Credence and DAPA-CKD, whereas some examples of the heart failure-focused trials might include Emperor-Reduced and DAPA-HF. One thing that makes these trials notable uh, is that they found that heart failure or renal benefit even in non-diabetic populations. So I think having this framework for how the previous SGLT inhibitors have been studied is important for placing cetagliflozin's new trials we'll be discussing today. But before we get kind of into the trials for cetagliflozin, I do think it's important that we bring out and understand exactly what this drug is. So it is a first-in-class agent, which inhibits both SGLT2 in the kidneys, as well as SGLT1 in the intestines. This is meant to reduce intestinal absorption of blood glucose. It was approved in Europe as an adjunct to insulin in patients with type 1 diabetes, but was rejected by the FDA in the U.S. for this indication based on concerns related to increased rates of diabetic ketoacidosis. So I have to admit that I've asked the two of you to take on a very big challenge by asking you to write a commentary about two very different studies that just happened to be published in the same issue of the New England Journal of Medicine. The first paper is officially titled Sotagliflozin or Sotagliflozin in patients with diabetes and recent worsening heart failure. And the second paper is entitled Sotagliflozin in patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease. We provide a link to those papers on the iFormerX website, but can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and the results from these two studies? Sure. Um, I'll kick us off with SCORED. Now, uh, as that name suggested, so tagliflozin in patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease, SCORED was a randomized placebo-controlled trial that evaluated cetagliflozin use in adult patients who had type 2 diabetes and chronic kidney disease. Uh, this was regardless of whether or not they had albuminuria, and they additionally needed an additional cardiovascular risk factor to be included. They had to have an A1C over 7, a GFR between 25 and 60, and as I mentioned before, those various cardiovascular risk factors. The composite primary endpoint for SCORED was the total number of deaths from cardiovascular causes, hospitalizations for heart failure, and urgent visits for heart failure. The baseline characteristics, median duration of treatment, all those good things were similar among treatment groups. Uh, but as far as the main results, those patients who got cetagliflozin had a statistically significant reduction in the composite endpoint at a rate of 5.6 versus 7.5 events per 100 patient years. Now, uh, every study has a safety side as well as the efficacy side. So we uh, did look at safety for SCORED and found that patients who were receiving cetagliflozin were more likely to experience diarrhea, genital mycotic infections, and volume depletion compared to patients receiving placebo. We also saw that similar uh, to that trial that Marin mentioned earlier, 
that rates of diabetic ketoacidosis were also significantly higher in the cetagliflozin versus placebo group. In regards to soloist WHF, the objective of this study was to compare the effect of cetagliflozin to placebo on the total occurrences of cardiovascular death, hospitalizations for heart failure, and urgent visits for heart failure. This study was conducted in hemodynamically stable patients who had just been admitted for worsening heart failure. The study evaluated patients before or within three days after discharge to initiate cetagliflozin versus placebo, and it found a statistically significant difference between treatment groups and placebo on the number of deaths from cardiovascular causes and hospitalizations or urgent visits from heart failure. The difference was found at a rate of 51 versus 76.3 events per 100 patient years in favor of the cetagliflozin group. However, patients receiving cetagliflozin were more likely to experience hypotension, diarrhea, severe hypoglycemia, and genital mycotic infections than those patients receiving placebo. It is important to note that the rate of diabetic ketoacidosis was actually lower in the cetagliflozin group in this trial. So I think we all know that every study has strengths and weaknesses and potential limitations. So do you have any concerns about the design and conduct of these two studies? While the results of these two studies were quite positive, is it a problem when a study is stopped early? And finally, do you think the results of these two studies are consistent with one another and consistent what we've seen in other SGLT2 inhibitor outcome trials? That's a great question, Stuart, and I can kick us off with SOLIST. So it is important to note, like you mentioned earlier, that both of these trials were stopped early um, due to loss of funding from the study sponsor. This early discontinuation led to a change in the primary endpoints of these trials, and that could be a cause for concern among some providers. It is important to note that the new endpoints focused on heart failure during a time when SGLT2 inhibitors were gaining pretty significant notoriety for their results in this area, which very likely biased the results to favor a positive outcome for cetagliflozin in both of these groups. Additionally, with the loss of funding, the endpoints were not independently adjudicated. And it's also important to note that primarily white patients were enrolled in these studies. And that's especially concerning given that black patients have an almost two and a half fold higher rate of heart failure hospitalization and the highest risk of heart failure related death among patients. Yeah, and I have some thoughts on SCORE that I'll share. I think immediately the biggest concern a lot of people will have in uh, reading about the SCORE trial is that that title uh, and, and our previous studies of SGLT2 inhibitors are going to lead us to expect to see renal outcomes uh, in that trial. It was the study of cetagliflozin in patients with diabetes and CKD. And so right off the bat, you're expecting to see renal outcomes. And uh, as you'll see as you read the study and, and read our commentary on I4MRX, those were not uh, really collected and analyzed beyond just renal safety. Uh, we, we got renal safety, but not renal efficacy. And I think that that probably goes back to that loss of funding when the drug was abandoned by Sanofi, probably in response to the disappointing FDA approval uh, following the Tandem 3 trial. However, I think all is not lost from the study. I do think that when you compare it to some of the other trials, this gives us a little bit more reassurance that SGLT2 inhibitors improve heart failure outcomes even in a population with CKD. We know that as renal function continues to worsen, that we begin to lose that anti-hyperglycemic effect where the drop in blood sugars are, are not quite as potent. However, uh, just like we saw in the uh, Credence and the uh, DAPA-CKD trials, 
we did continue to see an improvement in heart failure outcomes, even in these patients who had poor renal function. Another great contrast to keep in mind here between SCORED and our previous literature is that when we've looked at other trials that are focusing specifically on heart failure, uh, such as DAPA-HF and Reduced, this trial had 100% of patients with CKD, whereas those trials that were uh, focused on heart failure uh, had a little less than half with chronic kidney disease. So I guess the big question is, what is the role of sotagliflozin? We now have four SGLT2 inhibitors on the market. Uh, do you think sotagliflozin should become the go-to agent in this class, or do you feel its use should be limited to specific groups of patients where the data is really strong, or do you view this as a me-too drug that creates competition in the marketplace and hopefully will lead to lower drug prices, but is otherwise nothing special? Well, that's a really good question. I think it's important to really say, assuming FDA approval before we get started, because this drug is currently not FDA approved in the U.S. I do believe that with the results of the Soloist WHF trial, this could be a practice-changing drug. Because of the study design and when the medication was initiated so soon after a heart failure exacerbation, it proves the safety of SGLT2 inhibitors in that population. And I think that the results can be extrapolated to other SGLT2 inhibitors. However, it is important to note that with every drug, there is a cost. And as these drugs are still brand name, they are fairly expensive. Now, when you look at the curves, when the effect starts to occur for patients, when they start to have a reduction in hospitalization from heart failure, especially in the SOLOS WHF, but also in the DAPA-HF trial, you do see where those curves start to split within the first 30 days. And so it is, a, it is a possibility that these medications may have a benefit in reducing hospital admissions. And so that may be something that makes it worth the extra cost, but it's something that needs to be considered carefully. Yeah, th- those are great question and, and great points by Dr. Richards. There, there's a part of me that wants to give lexicon and, and cetagliflozin kind of some benefit of, you know, they were the ones who did the trial looking at the specific niche use in patients with a recent hospitalization. So there's a part of me that kind of wants to reward them with the recommendation to use that medication exclusively since they're the ones that have the evidence. But I do tend to agree with Dr. Richards that I think that this effect can probably be extrapolated to the other SGLT2 inhibitors when you start to look at how those Kaplan-Meier curves diverge in the other trials. I think another thing that I would like to see uh, is a head-to-head trial of SGLT1 inhibitors, namely cetagliflozin, versus an existing SGLT2 inhibitor uh, to see if these benefits on the cardiovascular system hold true. We've theorized that that SGLT2 inhibition is what's behind some of this cardiovascular improvement, the theory being that there are changes in the metabolic pathways. Does that hold true when you also inhibit SGLT1? If that does hold true, but there's no benefit, you know, let's say that they're non-inferior with respect to efficacy, if inhibiting SGLT1 causes additional adverse effects, for example, those GI side effects that we mentioned earlier, is it worth it? Especially if these are probably going to be similarly costing drugs being that all of them are now brand names. Uh, So to summarize, I I really want to see a head-to-head trial for us to further uh, find the place in the market for cetagliflozin. Jonathan Marin, 
I want to thank you both for joining me today to discuss the potential role of SGLT2 inhibitors and specifically the role of sotagliflozin, which is an SGLT2 and SGLT1 inhibitor for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, particularly in those with comorbid heart failure or CKD. I think it's clear from your comments that you believe we got a lot to learn. It's not clear that sotagliflozin offers any clear benefits beyond what other SGLT2 inhibitors have. But tell us what you think. Should sotagliflozin become one of our preferred agents in this class? Do you think there are patients who might benefit from sotagliflozin over the other agents? Only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on the website. You can become a member of iFormerX. It's free to health professionals, so sign up today. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, or perhaps studying to become a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist, I've got some great news. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to offer iFormerX content as part of their board recertification program, and you can earn continuing education credit too. Click on the link posted below the commentary on our website to learn more. And lastly, I want to acknowledge Laurel Hoff Christofek, who became the 5,000th member of the iFormerX community. That's right, 5,000 members, and that's a big milestone for us. Dr. Hoff Christofek, and I truly hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, is a clinical pharmacy specialist and the PGY-1 Residency Program Director at the Mercy Health St. Charles Hospital in Oregon, Ohio, or perhaps that's pronounced Oregon, Ohio. And it's residency program directors like Dr. Hoff Christofek who introduce their students, residents, and trainees to iFormerX and make it part of their professional development efforts that help us grow and reach new audiences. So thank you, Laurel, for joining the iFormerX community. And I hope you and your colleagues will remain active and engaged members of the iFormerX community for years to come. And until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.